Speaking with Darko is a journey per se. He is a rare business and psychology expert combination. It seems everything he touched become success. Awarded first prize for best global student framework in future studies at University of Houston, London Business School Master of Global Leadership, as well as Master of Studies in Professional Training in Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy at University of Oxford, and list goes on. Approachable, positive and simple person. Always learning new things associated with you, Darko. Darko, hi. How are you? Hello, Martin. I'm well. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you very much. Can you introduce yourself? Yes, sure. So, um, my name is Darko Lovrich. I'm currently based in New York, where I work for a venture advisory firm, mm-hmm. uh, where my role is mostly twofold. I tend to try to help large companies to innovate and work with a set of startups and social entrepreneurs, helping them develop their ventures. Earlier in my career, I worked for World Economic Forum, for Deloitte, and for Goldman Sachs. And uh, most of my training is a combination, sometimes fortunate, sometimes not, of psychology and business. Oh, that, that, that sounds like a great combination. So regarding World Economic Forum, did you, did you meet some famous people from politics, economic background? Uh, yes, of course. The, <laughs> uh, the whole premise of the, of the meeting is, is um, an attempt to pull together people who have both, I guess, the insights, the experience, and the position to mm-hmm. really make an effective change. So throughout my experiences with the forum, I've met uh, a set of people that uh, I was actually very proud to meet from, you know, political leaders to uh, chief executives and probably to uh, my favorite, just a variety of experts uh, from Nobel Prize winners to to writers, to poets. Um, Those things I found really, really inspiring and life changing. So you basically immersed into intellectual abundance. Well, yes, and, and, and partially sometimes it can, it can even be overwhelming because you're, mm-hmm. one tends to then be a bit stuck between the two impressions. One is, it is pretty incredible how many new things and new opportunities are opening up and, and what type of world we might be living in, sort of the optimistic side. But at the same time, one gets exposed to so many different problems and challenges, some of which seem really intractable that this pessimism and optimism tend to hang in a, in a somewhat strange balance, depending on the day, uh, because on one side you see all of the various possible solutions and innovations that, are, that might really change our world for the better, and on the other side you see rather clearly uh, how many of those challenges we actually have 
and how hard uh, the world is for so many people. Okay, so that's basically our today's topic, innovation. So why is innovation so important? I, I believe that, you know, aside the general fascination with innovation, it, it has this nice catch-up and people love engaging with, with the topic. Um, it's partially exactly for the reason of how many challenges we have. And you could argue that there are usually two approaches to global challenges. One is um, sort of political community-based, which says, well, we just have to make different choices. And the other is technologically-based, which says, well, maybe we'll find new ways to do things so we can avoid those hard choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the latter part is, is favored by most people. Um, but however, we live in a world in which while there, I think, at the first blush, there is a lot of innovation. Most of that innovation is concentrated within digital technology. And obviously that is changing the world and how you and I currently engage, for example, or the listeners to this podcast. Um, but it tends to currently stay within a narrow field. And when you compare it to the changes we faced in late 19th, early 20th century, uh, okay. those, I, I believe, in some ways felt much more pervasive uh, across a wide range of, of uh, areas of human life. So we live in a world where both we feel that there is a lot of innovation and the world is changing rapidly, and a world in which, in some ways, uh, we really don't have enough innovation to really adequately tackle these global challenges. What's your opinion regarding artificial intelligence? First, you know, the clue is in the name. Um, We have a lot of what I I would probably term rather machine learning. It's going to become an exceptionally important part of of our lives. Um, Obviously, again, with some, as as many innovations do, there will be both advantages and disadvantages to that, um, to to any innovation. my hunch is that we'll see a lot of advancement in the coming years, especially for systems that we've already seen, systems that are able to to learn from massive data sets. And we'll see a similar thing from systems that are able to learn from massive perception-based sets, such as self-driving cars. And I, I think our current architecture will stop there. And we'll need a couple of fundamental innovations to actually get to systems that we might call intelligent or agent-like. So I guess my, my perspective is um, very optimistic in the short run, fairly pessimistic in the medium run, and then who knows, but I might as well be optimistic in the long run. Uh, but I believe we are currently entering a bit of an overhyped cycle of what people expect from AI, and we won't be able to deliver it in the next coming few years but we will very likely be able to deliver it at some point. Of course. Regarding semantics, 
it is uh, interesting the most used word is deep learning actually so is there any connection between machine learning and deep learning differences well you know it, it's it's a new field so mm-hmm. um a lot of people try to stake a claim by by creating a set of concepts or or um each of these concepts actually come with fairly deep theoretical and academic perspectives so people use them uh to to validate that perspective and many other people just use the one that they they prefer but maybe the way i would put it is the following we currently mostly have ai and machine learning uh tools being used um on massive data sets where you've tried something millions of times right and most of the other people have tried it rarely are they generated specifically most of their bought uh these data sets what real intelligence would be is learning on exceptionally small data sets so um as a, as as one of the scientists in the field uh, says um if you have a child and the child is running around in the room and it hits a table it doesn't need to hit the table another million times not to hit it again it will typically never hit it again and try to avoid it currently we don't have machines that are able to learn like that sure So okay let's go back to human context why is innovation difficult yes the the eternal question um most of my day is probably spent uh, both trying to make innovation easier and realizing how hard it is um i i my job is less to innovate myself and mostly to build systems and contexts that enable innovation and i've noticed that there are probably two really important mindsets that that um really impede innovation um and they're both mindsets that would impede innovation in a large system as well as small system one is really the focus on efficiency um uh-huh. in many ways the the efficiency is the antithesis of innovation if everything one does is for a purpose for a stated goal and reaching that goal most efficiently one by default doesn't try something new doesn't stray doesn't make mistakes is not creative it is essentially machine like so um most of our organizations from governments to bureaucracy specifically to to large corporations are really efficiency maximizing machines and many of us actually treat ourselves or try to as efficiency maximizing machines um but if we look at nature of course the both evolution on a macro scale as well as learning on an animal scale uh, tend to focus on generating new behavior creativity play even if you will mm-hmm. which is fairly inefficient right there are few things that are as inefficient as play uh but that allow variation that allow new things to be tried and that eventually allow something new to happen so Unfortunately I guess we simply don't have enough time to play in our efficient world. That's that's one challenge. And the other challenge is a real desire for certainty. And this we face very often so when you when one tries to create a case for an innovation in a large corporation uh one has to make already a pretty ironclad case of what's going to happen and what the innovation is going to be. similarly uh while venture ecosystem tends to be 
significantly more open to innovation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mostly venture capital decisions are made based on at least some desire for certainty, which is often actually more of an exercise in rationalization and justification than actual certainty. And I think that second mindset makes it very hard for a person to just stand up and say, hey, we actually don't know, but we care about this problem and we're going to try a number of things. We have a lot of skilled people here and I hope we will find something, which is essentially the attitude of fundamental research, if you will. Where would you put creativity? Well, I think, you see, my own perspective is that creativity is a natural state. We educate ourselves out of creativity. And our systems and expectations um, create conditions in which it's hard for us to be creative, and sometimes we forget to do that. Uh, but my hunch is that by removing the obstacles to creativity the creativity that we all naturally have uh, will start to flow out. So that's probably the, the main point of my approach is that I don't necessarily feel that you need to, if you will, pour creativity into the people in okay. order to get innovation. I believe it's already there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How can our society encourage innovation? Oh, there, there are many ways. Many um, ways, of course. And I actually think that we need all of those ways more or less working in concert. So uh, we need schools that actually encourage much more of a play. Um, this is by far not, not a new concept or a statement. Many people say this in many different ways, uh, but the sad fact remains we are still quite far away from it. We, we need corporations in which... Uh, Mistakes are not seen as the worst thing mm -hmm. in which people are allowed to fail. Uh, we need more startups. We need more social entrepreneurs. We need governments that are ready to experiment. We need governments that will say, well, we don't know. Let's try a couple of things. I mean, just that is a, usually a death skill for a politician to, <laughs> to come to its voters and say, hey, I actually don't quite know how we're going to solve that, but we're really going to give it a try. There, 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 for example, you can clearly see how much our current society values this uh, pretense of certainty. Um, I believe, you know, acting on all of these things, getting academia out of the ivory tower. Academia is, in many ways, designed to be a system where people don't really know and where creativity is encouraged. But if you look at our current uh, grant-making system and peer review systems, they're not exactly systems that will encourage creativity. They're mostly systems that encourage not so much conformity, but probably conformity with the research agenda as it is set by the department. So you can play, but stay in the lines. Um, so in some ways, we build these really efficient systems that make us feel good and make us feel that there are experts who know exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, but they are in many ways killing our capacity to innovate as societies. Um, 
the last time I spoke with a person from Great Britain and she told me the government is actually encouraging startups on different ways. What is the situation in USA? <laughs> the situation in USA in that case is probably better because all the government needs to do is get out of their way mm -hmm. and startups really start flourishing. And again, probably similar to the, my previous point, which is if you just give people the freedom, they will try and do it. Um, that said specifically on Europe versus U.S. Uh, distinction and being a European, I, I feel it acutely. Um, U.S. does really have a better business culture. I don't want to put too fine of a point on it. Uh, of course. Really, the, the, the attitude towards failure and experimentation and the openness to new things and new approaches in many ways. My whole job currently of uh, you know, advising ventures um, is basically an invented job. And I can do it here because people are willing to give it a try. Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure it will be a bit harder in Europe. And I think that aspect of mindset needs changing. So it doesn't feel that somehow government needs to encourage startups. Yes, yes, it does. But mostly by getting out of the way and creating conditions in which people can really just easily start their business, export, import. Um, and in some ways, it feels to me that maybe Britain is moving in the opposite direction. almost out of time so regarding the, the the last question what can actually individuals do well uh, i think both many things and and few things uh, one when when it's faced with uh, a social problem of this magnitude it's easy to feel powerless but it's actually quite easy to become a bit more powerful in one's own life uh, so creating a space for play is definitely Uh, one aspect, mm -hmm. um, creating an outlet for someone to be creative, even if it's just a hobby, is, is, is very important. Encouraging uh, your children, your colleagues, your friends to do the same, especially your co-workers. Um, and eventually, you know, getting maybe the entrepreneur bug or the researcher bug and don't, not thinking about entrepreneurship in narrow term doesn't mean starting a very large business. Mm -hmm. It could be some, it could be social entrepreneurship. It could be community activism, but this whole idea that um, life as it is, hasn't really been found and set, but it's something that, that can be created and shaped and taking that attitude in whatever you do in your daily life is, is I think both profoundly empowering and satisfying as well as a really good way to create more innovation. For our listeners, do you have any advice regarding the mindset? What kind of mindset well, do you need to start such a an, such an journey? <laughs> well, one of the most important things, I guess, is attitude towards mistakes. Um, Silicon Valley has a lot of tropes about how to start businesses. Um, 
some of them have now, you know, graduated towards the level of a cliche. And that, that's actually fine because cliche means it's really probably true. Um, but creating conditions to fail early and know that you fail and change tracks. So basically creating conditions for very good feedback is, is probably the essential mindset. If we were speaking about machine learning earlier in this talk, and essentially and a part of what machines find it really hard is to learn quickly from feedback, right? They mm-hmm. need millions of times. So I think <laughs> doing the same in our own lives, not waiting uh, for something to happen a million times before you do it, but instead creating a condition for very clear, unambiguous feedback, and lo and behold, actually doing something different in the face of it um, is, is really the mindset that, that creates many other mindsets. Darko, it was real pleasure talking to you and I'm looking forward to our next interview. <laughs> Thank you so much, Martin. Pleasure speaking with you too.